Hello and welcome to Spirits of the Law, a podcast for those who find themselves called to the bar. I'm your host, Matthew Naylor, and I am joined, as always, by Sarah Lehman, the founder of the Sarah Lehman Law Group. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Well, today we have a very exciting uh, Kiefer Sour News Hour for you. <laughs> we have a showdown of the sours. We went to two of the uh, fine cocktaileries on Kiefer Street, uh, the Kiefer and Juniper, and we tried a bunch of their sours, and we have some ratings, and we have uh, something in the vein of our Whiskey Flights and News Bites uh, episode, uh, a selection of exciting news items. So, let us dive right in. All right, yeah, let's do it. Um, so we started out with the Kiefer, right? The Kiefer is one of my favorite places to go for a cocktail in Chinatown. Um, I think that it's one of the most established cocktail bars even in this city. And it's one of the first places people tend to think of when they think about going for a nice drink. So, the Kiefer. What did you think about the Kiefer, Matthew? I really like the general aesthetic of it. Um, it's, it's a nice bar. It has very friendly and pleasant staff. Mm -hmm. uh, it has like a very medical jive, like decor to it, yeah. which is a little weird and certainly it has like the acupuncture uh, diagram which is like a weird thing to see right when you're coming out of the washroom, but... Yeah, and even above the bar they have a sign hanging up there that says medicine, I think, um, or prescriptions or something of that um, connotation. But yeah, it definitely has a medical theme. It's a dark place. Um, it's a loud place. Mm -hmm. I think that it's... But like all good bars, it's always 10 p.m. in a good bar. Exactly. It's a great date place, let's put it that way. Yes. Um, so, we begin with the Opium Sour. Yeah. And the Opium Sour is comprised of tamarind and lemon juice and a couple other ingredients. Yeah, I think I actually have the list of ingredients here. Um, because I did snap a photo of the menu so that we would be able to remember it after having so many drinks. Um, so the opium sour has wild turkey bourbon, grapefruit, lemon, tamarind, and poppy seeds. And this is one of the drinks that's on its menu all the time. It's an alumni cocktail. So the kefir has a rotating menu, a seasonal menu, and this is one of the ones that you can get whenever you like. Mm-hmm. But... Well, let's talk about whether we want to ever get it again. Uh, <laughs> so there were, two, there were two cocktails on the menu that were actually labeled as sours. And mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who are uninitiated, the sour, uh, at least in its current incarnation, usually means a cocktail with eggs in it, uh, a frothy egg topping. Uh, and uh, this one this kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sucked. It, it definitely didn't uh, satisfy my craving for a sour. Um, so it, it had, the reason it's called the opium uh, sour is because it had poppy seeds in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, as you all know, poppies are the key ingredient in opium. Uh, star of the marvelous film The Wizard of Oz, where uh, everyone gets high in an opium field. And, <laughs> you know, and... Poppies but, will put them to sleep. <laughs> but really that's all that it had in terms of the poppy seeds. Like they were just kind of plopped on top of the ice cubes and that's how they were 
incorporated into the drink. They yeah, it looks like dirty snow. It did, yeah. They weren't they weren't really um, a bigger part of the drink than that. And that's one of the things that we rated on. So, Matthew, do you want to bring our listeners through our rating system? Yeah, so, uh, in the interest of systematicity, uh, we got a rubric going. Uh, our rubric ranks out of 25. Five points for presentation, ten for taste, five for innovation, and five for general impression. And as like a lover of tamarind, like tamarind is up there in my top five favorite flavors, I was super disappointed because like I was expecting something a little more, you know, complex, a little more interesting. Uh, but you know, in terms of presentation, that dirty snow didn't wow me. I gave it a one. Taste was all right. I I think the tamarind bonus was there certainly for me. I gave it a six. For innovation, it wasn't like special. It's the same drink that I mix at home, basically, mm -hmm. uh, when I mix, you know, Haritos, Tamarind Soda, and my favorite whiskey, Centennial. And so I gave it a two there. My general impression of it, two out of five. Would not recommend. Yeah, I came in roughly around the same as you did. Um, for the presentation, I also gave it a one. There was really nothing special about it. Taste, I gave it a four. Innovation, it got a three out of five for me. And then general impression, overall, it was a two. I would also give it a thumbs down. No need to try this drink. Well, in the interest of some theming, we have our first news item. And uh, this one actually is some pretty big news. The provincial health officer made a report called Stopping the Harm, Decriminalization of People Who Use Drugs in BC to the legislature recently. and. You know, after the public health emergency, after, you know, my time last year spending riding around downtown, uh, seeing the ambulances come to overdoses every single day. Oh, yeah. Uh, I might just quote from the report directly. Immediate provincial action is warranted, and I recommend that the province of BC urgently move to decriminalize people who possess controlled substances for personal use. This is the provincial health officer, our chief health officer in the province, recommending basically a Portugal-style decriminalization model for possession in BC. This is big news. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely essential, and I think it's urgently essential as well. Something needs to be done. Now, whether or not this is the appropriate approach, I guess, is something that we can debate. Um, but we do know that there has been a public health emergency in this province now since the summer of 2016, it's not getting any better. It's actually getting a lot worse, in my opinion. Um, and one of the reasons why we're not seeing things get better is because people are largely concerned about the implications and the criminal implications of using and possessing illegal narcotics. So I think that this recommendation does a lot in terms of destigmatizing opioid use and encouraging people to adopt safer uh, use procedures, if you will. Yeah, and it's not its not something like that's just for opioids either. It's about mm -hmm. all, all drugs because number one, there's a lot of tainted drugs out there. Absolutely. Uh, and number two, uh, it, it allows people to stop being afraid of calling emergency services. Yeah, and uh, that's a big thing. It's huge. and. Uh, so one of the two recommendations that really come out of this is one, the getting the province to change the Police Act mm -hmm. to 
get police across the province to deprioritize simple possession enforcement. Yes. Uh, and the reason that the police are able, uh, the police act is able to do this, is the administration of police is one of the provincial uh, responsibilities under the constitution. The province can't change the criminal code. That's definitely a federal responsibility. Control Drugs and Substances Act and the Criminal Code are federal acts. Uh, but the Police Act is a BC Act, and this follows a model that uh, worked for cannabis. Uh, it worked in Seattle for cannabis, it worked in Vancouver, uh, and it's definitely a model that I think we should be adopting for uh, other types of drugs because like, people are dying every day on absolutely. our streets. Yeah, absolutely. And we also know that this is affecting uh, portions of our population at disproportionate rates. So, you know, for instance, First Nations people are more likely to fall victim to the opioid crisis. Um, it is something that is a major problem. I mean, it's a health emergency. And at the end of the day, it doesn't work when we try to make laws to moralize people's behavior. We see that with sex work. You know, we saw that with cannabis. Um, and we're seeing it again now with opioid drugs. So by making these laws and putting them into place, really what we're doing is creating stigma that's resulting in death. It's horrible. And it's affecting everybody. Well, on that sour note, let's move on to our next cocktail, the let's. Chinatown Sour. Let's. Um, so yeah, so that cocktail, I will um, say, has... Wild Turkey 101 Bourbon, Fernet Branca, Lemon, something called Astragulus, and Orgeat. So that's a fancy, fancy little array of ingredients. But yeah, I've never heard of many of them. I know, but did it pan out? No. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it came it came in this um, like a nice-ish glass, I suppose. Uh, but it was a kind of gross caramelly color uh, and you know maybe I'm just not a big fan of astragulus. Yeah know? I don't know what that is but I'm also not really inclined to research it any further after tasting this drink. Um, I wasn't impressed by it either. I thought that it almost had a caramelly or butterscotchy flavor to it which some people might enjoy but I didn't really want it for a sour. Yeah, it it was too sweet to be sour and like <laughs> not sweet enough to be like a patio sipper. I agree. Uh, so I gave it out of five for presentation, two, four out of ten for taste, two out of ten for innovation because I didn't know what a stragulus was mm -hmm. uh, and never will. And uh, <laughs> one point five out of five for general impression, thumbs down. Yeah, I also was quite similar on this one. I gave it a 1 out of 5 for presentation because really it was exactly the same as the Chinatown, uh, sorry, the Opium Sour, except it was just in a different glass and was missing the poppy seeds. Um, so that really didn't score any points for me. In terms of taste, I gave it a 3 out of 10. Innovation, 1.5, only because I didn't know what two of the ingredients were. General impression, I gave it a 2 out of 5, and this is also a big thumbs down for me. Well, from Chinatown to problems in China in this town, <laughs> and uh, Sarah, this is going to be a little interesting because you can't actually talk that much about this story. I can't, no. No, but 
Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou is suing Ottawa Border Services uh, and a number of the police agencies for breaching her, for some reason, in quotes, according to the Vancouver Courier, constitutional rights. <laughs> so let me let me uh, expound on why you can't uh, get there. Well, I'll take a little bit of a winding path. Uh, so basically, Meng Wanzhou is suing to protect her regular constitutional rights. Everyone gets constitutional rights. If you're on our soil, you're, you're entitled to certain constitutional rights. Uh, she's claiming a result of uh, her loss of liberty, her detention without counsel, uh, and loss of liberty, mental distress resulted uh, because the RCMP held her for three hours without access to lawyers. Uh, so who, uh, who was that lawyer that she didn't have access to? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure about the didn't have access part, uh, but that lawyer was myself, which is why I can't uh, really say too much about this case. Um, I was retained as counsel for Ms. Meng's bail hearing, and therefore I'm precluded from discussing this in really any capacity. Um, so I'm going to have to keep my lips sealed on this particular news item today. Well, uh, just, to, just to let people know, Meng Wanzhou is currently under house arrest in a lovely home out in uh, Dunbar. And uh, I, I also had like a little bit of a pre-Sara Lehman Law Group a interaction where I was asked to go and serve her uh, with papers for another lawsuit. Uh, the illegal entanglements of Ms. Meng uh, are quite multifarious, but uh, <laughs> right now she is the plaintiff suing uh, over the detention of her electronic devices and the loss of liberty and mental distress. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting, and I also just wanted to take Vancouver Courier to task for putting constitutional rights in air quotes because they belong to everyone. Yes, but there's a question as to whether or not they belong to people who are in transit. That, that is true. That that's is interesting. interesting. Yes, so. so that's something that might be uh, decided, who knows. But I would be interested to see in, you know, whether or not our courts feel that people in transit through Canada are also entitled to constitutional rights. This story is obviously continuing to evolve with China uh, slapping tariffs on beef and soybeans and pork. Uh, it's uh, an evolving and interesting story. Something a little more interesting than the two drinks that we have had so far, the Blood Moon Sour. What was in this, Sarah? The Blood Moon Sour, it's actually not identified as a sour on the kefir menu. Mm -hmm. It too is an alumni cocktail and unlike the first two sours we talked about, I'm glad that this one is here to stay. Um, this one has gin, lemon, blood orange, Szechuan peppercorn, celery bitters, and egg white. It also comes served in a very nice um, little glass and the presentation of it um, is uh, something to be seen. It, it is it is cute. I'll put it that way. Uh, it's a nice light pink color with some foam at the top. It has a dehydrated blood orange slice and some kind of greenery, which we think may have been pine. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was spruce. I didn't eat it. It's it's not important. It was very decorative. Don't eat though. it. Yeah, it's not for eating. <laughs> yeah, although like I'm a big sucker for that dehydrated orange. I think that the the, the sections you know really stand out, really pop against uh, the pink liquid. Uh, the the taste was great. I thought it was like a little more patio-y than the the time of day that we were actually drinking it. But mm -hmm. like if you're out uh, enjoying, 
You know what I would drink this, uh, when I would drink this, it would be like a really good after racetrack beer. Like if I were gone oh, to yes. the horses and then I would uh, head over to the kefir. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's when I think I might be trying this drink next. But presentation, I give it a full five out of five. Uh, perhaps a little overcorrection for the uh, disappointments previous. Yeah, I think you were just excited to see some garnish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That wasn't... Yeah. That wasn't just random poppy seeds sprinkled over things. Exactly. Like yeah. <laughs> so I think we should scale that back in retrospect, but hey, it's up to you. That's your rating. Yeah. Uh, 8 out of 10 for taste. Um, I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 for innovation and a 4 out of 5 for general impression. Yes, go try it. Go uh, get your day at the races and enjoy this lovely pink blood moon sour. Yeah, I gave it a 4 out of 5 for presentation, I gave it an 8 out of 10 for taste, 3 out of 5 for innovation, and 4 out of 5 for general impression, and I agree with Matthew. I think that this uh, drink is definitely worth trying, so give it a shot. Well, from the blood moon to the actual moon, mm -hmm. the race to develop the moon is on. It is. So, it's real. Yeah. China, Israel, India, uh, Canada, the United States are all looking at uh, missions to the moon, uh, the European Space Agency as well. Uh, it's, it's really exciting because we haven't been to the moon since the 70s. Or did we ever go? Dun, dun, dun. Conspiracy theory alert. <laughs> that might be a topic for another podcast of a different nature. Yeah. <laughs> No, I was I, I did watch a really cool YouTube video uh, that talked about how the photography that would have been required to fake the moon landing, and in particular the like direct lighting that would have had to have created the shadows, was actually twenty years beyond the technology available at the time. So they could land on the moon, but they couldn't fake the fake moon landing. That's so funny. <laughs> But I guess it depends on what YouTube channel you're you're subscribing to in this case. But <laughs> yes, uh, although I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I I want to put spirits of law uh, firmly on the yes the moon side <laughs> of things. But um, there is a legal dimension to this case, uh, and it involves two treaties, two aspects of international law: the Moon Treaty. Uh, or the Lunar Treaty and the Outer Space Treaty. Yeah. Uh, and it uh, it basically says who owns the moon. Uh, and, you know, America went up there and they stuck a flag in the moon and uh, it, that apparently does not actually mean that they own the moon. No, um, definitely not. Just as you cannot own the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, these laws are uh, very similar to the laws for the high seas. Mm-hmm. So, makes sense, I guess. So, one answer to who owns the moon might be Luxembourg, uh, because Luxembourg has really been pushing itself as a uh, destination for space development. Uh, so just as a fisher uh, who is out on the high seas doesn't own the fish while they are in the ocean, but does own the fish once they catch them in the net and pull them up onto the boat, uh, the harvesting of resources, at least in the conception of Luxembourg's eyes, uh, is that if you go and mine the moon, once you've mined the moon, uh, you can 
keep the profits from whatever you've mined off the moon, whatever that happens to be. Apparently there's a lot of regolith. Uh, there's some other, like, cool space stories around this, including uh, a guy who basically claimed an asteroid and uh, then NASA landed a probe on this asteroid, the first probe ever to land on an asteroid. Yeah. Uh, and then this guy uh, sent them a parking ticket. Which is so funny. I love that story. I think it's so great. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's innovation right there, sending a parking ticket to NASA involving an asteroid. I love it. That guy has some great spirit. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is really interesting stuff. This is going to develop big time in the future. This really, I think, could be the law of the future. But one of the interesting things about the Outer Space Treaty is that any country, and there's a lot of countries signed on to it, um, 108, I think. Yeah. Um, but any of those countries, if they're feeling that they are making the technological advancements that are necessary to give them a one-up on the moon over others, can opt to withdraw from the treaty by giving one year's notice, which in outer space time seems like very little notice. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this will cause the moon to develop. I'm actually a little bit on the side of the outer space treaty, the Antarctic treaty, and the law of the high seas uh, tend to actually create a legal framework that limits development because mm -hmm. it discourages private investment uh, because you can't own the thing, like you can't uh, get a, uh, a state in fee simple on the moon. Yeah, I mean, I guess that capitalism is conducive to development, but is that desirable? Well, that's a different question. Well, I mean, a lot of the times when we are talking about uh, capitalism and development, it, it has this huge amount of colonial overtones to it. Yeah, which are not great. No, but no. on the plus side, there are, at least so far as we know, no people to colonize on the moon. <laughs> to be continued. Yes. <laughs> uh, to be continued with, of course, the Jade Dynasty. Another sour, uh, and I think this was the, the cutest one that we got at the Keeper. For sure, it was. The J Dynasty is also an alumni cocktail. Um, the ingredients in this one are beef eater gin, mezcal, matcha, lemon, lime, bonito infused sesame oil, and egg white. And it's a pea soup green color, which doesn't sound very cute. No, it doesn't. And I normally am not a huge fan of that color, but in this instance, because of the little garnish, yeah. uh, they had a little clothespin that, that had a little folded up piece of nori on it. Uh, it was adorable, and I thought that the blend of, of tan and green and dark green really sold it for me. Yeah, it and worked it, together. It definitely worked together. It, um, ha it's, it's dicey because that color of green definitely harkens on that famous scene from The Exorcist and nobody wants to drink the pea soup. Um, but that being said, it did work together with that little folded sheet of nori. It all looked great together. I loved the way this was put together. So the, the taste actually was really interesting. It had a, like a little bit of umami. It had that like really nice, pleasant hit of smokiness that mm -hmm. the mezcal brought in. Yeah. Uh, but wasn't too like heavy uh, or oily. It was like a little bit astringent and the gin definitely uh, brought that in. Uh, yeah. It was a very pleasant blend of, of flavors and certainly redeemed uh, the 
kind of disappointments of of the other uh, first two cocktails. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I liked the Japanese influence here. I'm a huge fan of Japanese cuisine, and this, you could really taste those Japanese flavors coming through. So I was a fan. So I gave it a 4 out of 5 on presentation, uh, 7 out of 10 on taste, uh, 4 out of 5 on innovation, because man, like matcha and mezcal, what yeah. the thought? Yeah. Uh, and a good solid 4 out of 5 on general impression. So that is a thumbs up or a thumbs down from Matthew Naylor? Definite, definite thumbs up. Good, yes. Um, I agree. I gave it a 5 out of 5 for presentation because those little tiny paper clips get me every time. I gave it an 8 out of 10 for taste. I really enjoyed it. A 5 out of 5 for innovation and a 4.5 out of 5 for general impression and I absolutely recommend this drink. I think everybody should try it at least once. It is very good. So we, uh, we move from the Jade Dynasty to a very tenuously connected uh, <laughs> story, but I just love this story so I really wanted to talk about it. Uh, the one connection that it centers on is the name of one of the people involved uh, Olivia Jade. Olivia Jade. The Oli beauty vlogger. Yes, uh, who also got admitted to the University of Southern California because of the dot 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 crimes of her... Alleged crimes. Alleged, alleged crimes. Alleged crimes of her mom. Uh, perhaps you'll have heard of Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin and Canadian BC Lions alumnus Dave Sadu mm -hmm. uh, getting indicted in U.S. federal court for uh, their roles in the massive U.S. college admissions scandal. So uh, basically they faked their kids way into college? Yeah, very strange stuff. Like why not just make a massive donation to the university or college and, you know, cozy up to people that way? No, nope, or <laughs> or or this is a radical idea I'm about to propose here. Why don't you just get your kids to actually get good grades <laughs> yeah. and earn their way into school like everybody else has to do? Well, it seems like um, poor Olivia Jade kind of got forced into going. Like, it doesn't seem like she was that interested in going to college. No. So much as continuing her beauty vlogging Instagram yeah, career. Cor yeah, She's an influencer. She's an influencer. I think she was trying to uh, get into the vein of more of a Kardashian than an academic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, hold on now. Oh. Hold on, Kim. Kim's going I can't, to law school. No, I can't talk about that. It makes me too angry. I'll start breaking things in my own office. So it's, it's just not a topic that I am allowing to enter into my conscious mind. Um, but yeah, but poor Olivia Jade, she lost her deals with Sephora and Tresemme. So I think we should all feel very, very sorry for this highly privileged and wealthy young girl. So, uh, they have actually, th this is a developing story, and since the uh, first time that we gave a shot at this, uh, there's actually been non-guilty pleas that have been uh, entered by Huffman and Sadu and Laughlin, uh, and I also managed to spill gin all over the notes that I took, so, uh, but I'm just a spilly, spilly guy. Absolutely. Well, thrills, spills. 
uh, and a brief trip down the block to Juniper. Yeah, Juniper is just right down the street from Kiefer. If you're somebody like me who wears high heels almost everywhere they go, you can definitely make the trek. It's very, very close. And this is the new cocktail kit on the block. What did you think, Matthew? I love this place. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's very, very jiving with my like general design aesthetic. It's very Nordic. Like, yeah. Uh, I can imagine the new Nordic cuisine. Uh, lots of whites and light blues, Scandinavian minimalism. Yeah, uh, it's clean. It looks clean and fresh. Yeah, without seeming too medical. Like, not medical in the way that the kefir is medical, uh, which is more like, uh, ooh, an apothecary. Mm -hmm. uh, but medical in the, uh, like, I feel like I could eat off their floor and not get sick. Clinical. Uh, yeah, clinical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's nice. Yeah, but without that like battleship linoleum hospital feel. Right. Yeah, it's still like welcoming. A, more like a, a plastic surgery day spa. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we are. So, is that a place that you want to drink a sour? Let's find out. Well, IPA sour. That was the the first one that we got. Uh, this one, this one was cool. What, what, yeah. what was in it? Okay, so the IPA sour comes with gin. Housemade IPA liqueur, lemon, lime, botanicals, grapefruit, and hops bitter. So in that way, it's similar actually to the first um, drink that we tried at the Kiefer because it has the lemon, the lime, the grapefruit, um, all of those ingredients. So it's kind of a more traditional sour, but it also has that housemade IPA liqueur. And that, that is something that I really thought was cool. Like they, they've taken a uh, a beer that like BC has really been instrumental in like pushing, especially during that kind of horrifying period that I've blocked out of my taste memory when the hop wars were taking place and everyone was just like, no, it'll make the international bitterness units break the break the scales and make people's faces turn inside out. Uh, <laughs> this does not do that with either the sourness or the bitterness. I thought it was fantastic. I gave it a solid four out of five on presentation yeah i mean it was super cute right in terms of presentation the ipa sour came in a nice little traditional almost martini glass and it had a dried orange slice as well so um similar again to maybe something that we had tried at the keeper but just a little bit different this this orange slice this one uh, was horizontal it was um, yeah. different 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 yeah, directionally different, different. <laughs> I don't think it was a blood orange either. No, no. I think it actually probably was like a, a lime, but I don't, I'm, you're not supposed to chew them because they are probably decorative. Uh, definitely don't chew them. I definitely did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should not have done that. Definitely did. Uh, <laughs> four out of five on presentation, 6.5 out of 10 on taste because like, uh, it was fine. It was good. It just like wasn't blow me away fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, but full 5 out of 5 on innovation and a 3.5 out of 5 on general impression. Um, on the whole though, if you're gonna try something at Juniper, don't get this one. Like, I, I fully commend Juniper's like innovation and their experimentation on this one, but this one, like, I think just suffers from the fact that everything else that they're doing has been so good uh, that I just can't recommend it. 
I know this one is funny because it's like two thumbs up would not recommend um, I feel the same way I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 for presentation 6.5 out of 10 on taste 4 out of 5 for innovation general impression was 4 out of 5 but again I think that there's more interesting and more delicious cocktails on their menu well, from the IPA sour to an IP action that might make you sour, internet provider, that's what I mean. Tell us. Tell us has scored a big win at the Supreme Court over customer rights to join class action suits. So, um, a class action is a type of civil lawsuit where not all the plaintiffs are identified by name initially. There is a certified class, you have to get certified by a judge. Uh, and anyone who fits the class certification characteristics can join and is eligible for compensation if the class action is successful. Yes, that's right. So, this is a Ontario, or it's a Supreme Court of Canada ruling that says that business customers are contractually prevented from joining class action suits filed on behalf of individual consumers. So, if you're a TELUS business uh, customer. Which I am. Yeah. Uh, we are shit out of luck. Yeah. Uh, if we want to uh, join a class action suit against Talus for their many, many, many issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am a reluctant Talus business customer, and I'm sure that there's anybody listening who works at one of the competitive uh, agencies or providers in the Lower Mainland, I might be getting a phone call. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I can see why people were trying to sue Telus. I mean, they're not they're not great. They're not great. They're not great. We'll see if that phone call makes it through, though. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, uh, there was a class action suit that a bunch of individuals were were joining in. There was a consumer protection law that meant that the arbitration clauses that kept being built into consumer contracts uh, would uh, basically not apply to people anymore, but the arbitration clauses would still apply to businesses. So corporate entities uh, unfortunately couldn't uh, join in and, and seek compensation. They had to submit to binding arbitration, uh, which is almost, almost always uh, much more favorable to the defendant, to the, the corporation, than a court would be. Mm -hmm. So that's not fun, I guess, if you're the little guy in that situation, which I think most of us are. Almost makes you want to drink. Yep. Like the West Coast Sour. <laughs> the West Coast Sour was the next one up on the list at Juniper. This one has uh, gin, lemon, spruce tip, dill, celery bitters, egg white, and chartreuse mist. This one was very nice looking. Um, I really enjoyed the appearance. It came with a big um, sprig, I guess I could call it, of dill uh, right in the middle. It was very frothy, a nice kind of light yellow green color to the drink. Um, I love dill, so I loved that garnish. You can tell that we are like five drinks in at this point. Oh, for sure. My, my notes are dill, love the sprig, yeah. salute, <laughs> forestry. Yeah, no, we started our, our rankings. I'm not sure if the quality of the drinks were getting better or if we were just feeling better because of the drinks we'd consumed. But 
Either way, this one got pretty good scores. Yeah, I gave it for presentation a 4.5 out of 5, a 9 out of 10 for taste. Uh, and then again, I like really love those kind of pine, turpentine, uh, spruce, juniper flavors. I'm definitely a gin guy, uh, which is always juniper berries. Uh, so like that's my bias showing through a 4.5 out of 5 for innovation. Uh, and a 4.5 out of 5 for general impression. Definitely, definitely try it out. If you're someone who likes that kind of botanical, foresty flavor. If you don't, uh, it's not going to be for you. But I loved it. Yeah, I agree. I gave it a 4 out of 5 for presentation, 8 out of 10 for taste, 4 out of 5 for innovation, and 4.5 out of 5 for general impression. And I would recommend this one as well. Well, the West Coast Sour. Oh. Yeah, are we moving on to this one? This is this one. Ah, yes, the West Coast Sour. Well, something uh, something that might make you sour if you are living on the West Coast is terrorism. <laughs> yeah, terrorism is not good. Yeah, one Two of my thumbs least down. favorite flavors. Would not recommend. <laughs> so this is a story about a man who was arrested, but I don't think charged yet, uh, for allegedly inciting hatred online. Now, online hate is something that has been a topic for conversation for um, a lot of people, including our federal government, uh, as they consider different, perhaps, measures they could take in order to reduce the amount of hate online. I mean, there's a lot of hate online these days, isn't there? Yeah, and a lot of conversation about hate speech online, including, if I am not mistaken, a article in the Georgia Strait this week. Oh yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, I mean, I think this is an important issue for us to highlight because um, we do have laws in this country, three laws in fact, that uh, limit our freedom of, freedom of speech, rather, um, and make it a criminal activity to do things like, I don't know, promote or incite genocide. I think that's a reasonable limit on free speech. Yeah, this is why, I, like, I look down at the, the U.S. and I see how right-wing extremists slash activists are weaponizing the First Amendment, which mm -hmm. is the, the free uh, speech and free exercise clauses of the U.S. Constitution. and. I look to the first clause of our Constitution Act 1982 and I, I breathe a sigh of relief because uh, section one is the one that says that you can have such reasonable limits as can be justified in a free and democratic society. This is one of them. Yeah. Absolutely. This was all the way back to that Keegstra decision from I guess it was the early 90s or late 80s I think. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the Oliver Wendell Holmes quote, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. <laughs> uh, nor can you like yell fire when people have been primed by hatred to point guns at other people. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that this is translating into action. It's one thing, I guess, to air your horribly racist, repugnant views about other groups of people. But when we're seeing hate crimes go up and up and up every single year, we are seeing that this is actually translating into real harm in our communities. And we can't have that. No. Yeah, we live in a very dangerous time, I think, we do. right now. Uh, as the internet in particular has empowered hate groups, uh, has allowed people who 
normally would hold these repugnant views deep, deep inside them mm -hmm. and just stew in their own bitterness. Uh, it provided them with a place like 8chan or uh, QAnon to uh, share and and like multiply and metastasize these beliefs into a societal cancer. Yeah, it's and now it's bleeding out into much more mainstream platforms as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that uh, just going on to my Facebook, you know, these days, you, you see these comments being left by people that otherwise would would never actually say these things maybe in real life in terms of, you know, to your face or out loud or verbally, who feel that they can post really hateful, horrible things. It's it's scary, actually. It um, is scary, and like the thing that I was riding my bike around uh, last Saturday, and uh, my route home takes me past a couple of synagogues, and there was a large police presence out because of the threats against uh, Jewish Canadians, against uh, Jewish people around the world, because of the the massive upswing in anti-Semitism, a centuries-old evil that is being breathed, uh, that new life is being breathed into because of these fucking repugnant awful people yeah how are we how are we still here how is this still happening i mean that is my question i just don't understand how we can't move beyond the hate and just drop it already jeez so hopefully these laws um or these new ideas that at least our federal government is contemplating will be able to somewhat address the issue, but there needs to be some kind of major societal change or shift in order for people to just get a grip. Well, from a bunch of nuts to some coconuts. Uh, <laughs> Great with the segue on that seamless, one. Seamless, seamless segues. Seamless, uh, yes. The next drink that we tried was the Kingston Colada. So what, what was in this one? So the Kingston Colada had charred pineapple-infused Appleton's Reserve Blend rum, spiced tropical syrup, lime, pineapple, coconut, egg white, absinthe rinse, and nutmeg. It was cool. It was cool. It was very tropical looking. Um, it came in a nice martini glass. It was almost a nice kind of peachy cream color with some mm -hmm. foam on top and then had some toasted coconut sprinkled over the foam. I think I described this as if Club Monaco was a drink, it would be the Kingston Colada. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fantasy in beige. This one. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and I thought it was a little heavier. Like it was a little. It, it would be what I would drink as an evening patio drink, not so much a, a daytime one because it's just a little heavy on, on what felt very creamy, but I think that's more the Appleton's uh, that was like it's a heavier rum. Uh, and you know, also coconut is just like a kind of heavier flavor in my mind. Almost had a little bit of like a, a Mai Tai-ish or, or pina colada, you know, obviously pineapples and coconuts uh, go together there. Really, really nice, really nice. 3.5 out of 5 on presentation because, you know, as far as you can get, really, with so much beige in my mind. 7.5 out of 10 for taste. Uh, 2 out of 5 on innovation because, well, it was, it was cool. It, was, it didn't seem like it was making any huge leaps of, of faith. It certainly didn't have IPA liqueur. Uh, and uh, 4 out of 5 on general impression. I definitely would try it, though, uh, given the right circumstances. 
Yeah, it's uh, definitely a tropical drink. Um, if you like the taste of coconut and pineapple, it is for you. Um, I gave it a 3 out of 5 for presentation, an 8 out of 10 for taste. I gave it a 2 out of 5 for innovation because really, the pina colada, it's been done before. Yeah. And this is just another twist on that. And then I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 for general impression. I would recommend it. I think it's a good drink. And, you know, I mean, I'm also a fan of Club Monaco, so I don't know what that says. Well, from one Kingston to another, a Kingston teen is facing some terrorism charges and additional charges for breaching the conditions of his bail. So, a Kingston teenager, uh, yeah, terrorism again. No, not great. I, I, I can't believe you have to go back into this, but here we are again. So, basically, I, I wanted to actually to bring this up mostly to talk about bail conditions. Uh, and the the huge amount of latitude that a judge has in setting bail conditions, uh, talking about like how you can interact with the world, who you're allowed to contact, mm -hmm. whether you can have access to the internet or not, mm -hmm. uh, especially given, as we just mentioned, the internet's tremendous power for spreading pernicious and violent ideas mm -hmm. uh, of, of hate speech. and. Uh, you know, basically an instruction manual for aspirant terrorists. Well, it does make some sense that this teenager was released on such seemingly onerous conditions. I mean, he has a wide variety of conditions. They were published here in Global News, although his identity was withheld due to the fact, I'm assuming he is a youth, um, and there's a publication ban. But we have to remember that when a person is released on bail, the public needs to be protected. Yeah. So, although they have the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty, these are some pretty heavy allegations. These are terrorism-related allegations. And so, it's important for the judge to make sure that the community is properly protected and that this person isn't going to go out and maybe further offend. So, just to give people a sample of what these bail conditions can be, uh, wear a GPS ankle bracelet, uh, be with one of two, this is one of the ones that I found was like really, really onerous. You have to be with one of two responsible persons at all times. Not be in possession of any electronic communications, not have a computer, smartphone, tablet, watch, uh, not have any weapons, explosive devices. Uh, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty common. Um, you know, not to be in possession of weapons is a, is a relatively common bail condition. Um, My favorite is one that's like, don't have any knives unless you're cooking. Yes, yes, that is the exception. Or unless you uh, require them in the course of your employment. Um, but yeah, I mean, this guy's under some pretty onerous conditions. That being said, I'm sure that they are all necessary uh, in order to protect the public. And that is uh, the main issue here. Um, whether or not, you know, bail conditions can be properly crafted to protect the public and also ensure that this person is going to remain within the jurisdiction to deal with their charges. Yeah, which is why he's not allowed to have a passport. He's only allowed to access the internet for educational purposes, though presumably not all education. Uh, <laughs> no terrorist-related yeah. education, please. Uh, and he must also refrain from any communication with a gentleman by the name of Hussam al-Zahabi. Uh, all right, well, I mean, uh, it's never a good idea to get a breach. Breach charges are bad. If you get a breach charge, however, 
Yes. You can always call our office, and we do deal with those kinds of allegations. In fact, one of our colleagues was dealing with a breach charge just this morning. There we are. Uh, so feel free to reach out to us if this is something that's a problem for you. 604-900-9211, Sarah Lehman Law Group, covering you for all the times you've breached your bail conditions when suspected <laughs> of terrorism. <laughs> so from one plug to the next plug, is this going to be a plug on our final drink at Juniper? I like Blossom. Yeah, yeah it is. This is my favorite cocktail of the night, and I'm not just saying that because it was my last cocktail of the night. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if you can be an impartial judge at that point. Well, but... I kept drinking <laughs> after this. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was very good, and the ingredients in this one were gin, tangeray, well, two types of gin, actually. There was the botanist gin and the tangeray malacca gin, yellow chartreuse lychee strawberry pink peppercorn green strawberry bitters and egg white i really like this it was so cute in its glass they served it in this like large chinese porcelain with the like blue uh etched uh like relief on it like yeah the relief it was like a little chinese um tea mug really yeah um, it was very cute, and then the foam on the top was quite thick, thick enough to support some little pink peppercorns. Yes, uh, and we'll get more into the pink peppercorn panic uh, of the <laughs> 1980s in a moment, but I'll go through my, my ratings of it. Five out of five for presentation. This was the cutest thing of the night for me. Mm -hmm. uh, 9.5 out of 10 for taste. I was, I'm not like normally a, a big fan of strawberry-based uh, things, but... I, all, I did really like the Malacca uh, gin, which you can also hear about in a previous episode that will be coming out soon. Yeah, there, there are reasons. Uh, <laughs> 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 and um, a 3.5 out of 5 for innovation and a solid 5 out of 5 for general impression. I really like that, like, just really... Uh, bright red peppercorns floating in the middle of this like white uh, foamy thing that seemed almost to blend with the white porcelain of the glass it, it looked fantastic yeah it was absolutely aesthetically pleasing which is why I gave it a 5 out of 5 for presentation as well for taste I gave it a 9 out of 10 which I think was my highest taste rating of the entire evening and then for innovation I gave it a 3 out of 5 General impression, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5, and yes, absolutely, would recommend, try it, it is very delicious. Yes, and as I wrote, Wurst og the Nacht. Yeah, I don't even know what that is, that sounds like a line from Game of Thrones. I think, I'm pretty sure it was best of the night, but uh, <laughs> my fine motor control had uh, somewhat Depreciated. Depreciated. Yes. Also depreciating is the value of pink peppercorns in the 1980s. So. I had no idea that pink peppercorns were a thing. So. But. They're not I guess actually they are. pepper, actually. So. Oh, okay. Uh, basically, pink peppercorn uh, was something that in the 1980s was added as a, uh, a spice of, like, kind of give some pop to pepper blends uh if you got that multi peppercorn thing that i remember my parents having a lot in the 1990s uh 
it would have like a little bit of the green peppercorns, a little bit of the coriander to just give it a nice like spice blend look in addition to the standard black peppercorns. It's not actually a, uh, a peppercorn, it's just a berry uh, that has been dried. And but it's a scary berry. It is a scary berry. So basically... Uh, Don't eat it, basically, is what I understand after learning a little bit about the pink peppercorn. Um, it's a cousin to poison ivy. Yeah, so basically what happened is uh, there was this laundry list of potential side effects uh, symptoms similar to those caused by poison ivy. Uh, in addition to that, violent headaches, swollen eyelids, shortness of breath, chest pain, sore throat, hoarseness, upset stomach, diarrhea, and hemorrhoids. Ah, uh, that's all bad stuff. Yeah, yes it is. Uh, and it frankly actually ended up not necessarily being as serious as it, uh, it ended up being. The Food and Drug Administration of the United States banned pink peppercorn importation in 1982. Uh, and that uh, caused a bit of a diplomatic furor uh, with the French government because most pink peppercorns were grown on the island of Réunion near Madagascar. Uh, so importers insisted that the soil and climate differences meant that the peppercorns from Réunion uh, were different from the peppercorns that had been tested in this study where the, uh, you know, Pfizer-ish list of side effects got produced. And unfortunately, they just sort of became untrendy. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to take a risk with all of this in terms of symptoms. Like this is this is not this is not good for me. This is we're talking about a peppercorn here. You know, uh, it just the reward versus risk payoff just isn't really there for me. Well, the French did submit uh, some research to the FDA showing that their peppercorns, because the different soil conditions were non-toxic, mm. and apparently Health Canada has, to some extent, agreed because they appeared there in the Islay Blossom. Uh, yeah, they did. If I had known, maybe I would have steered clear, but I didn't, and I didn't suffer from any of the uh, symptoms that are listed in this particular article, so that's good news. In the meantime, uh, <laughs> The pink peppercorn is actually causing some problems down in South Florida where they have become an invasive species. Uh-oh. So maybe the best thing that we can do is uh, eat U.S.-based pink peppercorns as they try and eradicate them from South Florida before South Florida is, of course, eradicated by climate change. Or uh, just by the residence itself. Yeah. <laughs> and on that positive note... Uh, <laughs> Uh, this has been another episode of Spirits you, of did, the Law. Did, did you want to give an overall recommendation for Kiefer or Juniper before? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so best of the night, Juniper. Yeah. yeah, for me, best of the night, absolutely. I would say Juniper. And I'm saying that, you know, with a little bit of hesitation because the Kiefer has always been my go-to location for cocktails in the Chinatown area. But Juniper is making a really great argument for themselves. Yeah, I, like... Kiefer has a bigger and more developed menu. Like, they have a ton of alumni cocktails, and they do continue to innovate. Like, they are a serious cocktail bar. Mm -hmm. But Juniper, as the new kid on the block, I, I think is uh, very much the uh, Muhammad Ali to George Foreman uh, of this particular boxing match. The 
Kiefer Sauer News Hour Showdown. I have to give it to Juniper, and in particular the Eye Blossom, because man, I, I actually have been talking up this drink to like people that I have I've encountered in the last couple of days. I thought it was fantastic. It is my favorite cocktail. <laughs> well, we don't agree on everything, but Matthew Naylor, you and I can agree on this. Yes. So we have a clear and distinct winner, not just for the venue, but also for the drink on this episode. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Spirits of the Law, a podcast for those who are called to the bar. Spirits of the Law is a production of the Sarah Lehman Law Group, a law firm specializing in criminal and family law located in downtown Vancouver. Call us at 604-900-9211 for a free consultation. We are always, always happy to take a look at your problems and see what we can do.